Hi guys, and welcome back to the Becoming Her podcast with your host, Victoria McHugh. I'm so excited to be back, guys. I've just spent a month traveling the USA and it was beautiful and it was amazing. If you've been following my journey on Instagram, you would have seen all of the highlights, but I am back now in Sydney, Australia, and I'm really excited to be releasing episode seven, Becoming Her with Christy Dryling. Now, I had the privilege of spending quite a few days with my beautiful friend and mentor Christy in Phoenix, Arizona, and we just had the most beautiful time. We had these deep conversations and I was so excited to interview her for you guys because she just has the most beautiful story. So a little bit about Christy. She is a mother of three adult boys. She's a grandmama of two, and she's also a remarkable leader in the network marketing industry with a business that has turned over a billion dollars in sales over the last two decades. On top of that, Christy is an author, a co-producer of an award-winning documentary. She's a former model. She's the founder of Cosmic Love Vibrational Oils. She has a master in metaphysics and so much more. Now, this conversation goes everywhere from childhood trauma to spiritual growth to um, marriage, parenting, building a business, divorce, finding love in your 40s and so much more. And I think the, the thing I love so much about this conversation is Christy really talks about how the becoming her journey is never finished and you are constantly growing and evolving and that's exactly what we like to do here at the becoming her podcast so please enjoy this episode grab a wine and give me your feedback over on my instagram enjoy guys All right, guys, please welcome my beautiful friend to the Becoming Her podcast, Christy Dryling. Hello, darling. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. You guys are in for the biggest treat. Before we start and get into her incredible story, I want to share how I first learned about this amazing woman. So when I first started my business eight years ago, um, I was given a book. I was given a book called LOL laugh out loud by Christy Dryling and it was a personal growth slash kind of true story of courage and resilience and how she came from where she was to where she is now and I read the book and it was probably the first book I'd ever read since high school I read it cover to cover in one day one day one day Dang. and I was just so obsessed with you I then went on to YouTube watched all your videos at many different places that you'd spoken and I remember thinking if I get to meet this woman one day (laughs) I'm going to tell her how much she impacted my life and that's where my personal growth journey started and now to be sitting here with you after having a four-day retreat in Arizona that's where we are right now we're in Scottsdale Arizona and to be able to call you one of my closest friends but not only that just someone that I look up to as a mentor and as a healer and you know Christy was one of the first people I called when I had my relationship breakdown we were in Maui together and 
it's just been an incredible journey. I feel honored to have you on the podcast, but mainly I feel honored to just even know you and to have you a part of my life. So guys, you're in for the biggest treat. Make sure you grab a wine or some popcorn and you're present when you listen to this because this woman is truly life-changing. So Christy, I start all of my episodes with asking the question, tell us about your childhood. Set the scene for what we're going to know, how we're going to get to know you and your journey to becoming her. Well, before I do that, I just want to just say to you how proud I am of you and the work that you're doing to take your trauma, your truth, and help so many people around the world. And uh, I just hear people all over the world raving about your your work and your vulnerability and how, how open you are about your stories and how it's helping transform so many people's lives. So well done. And I can't wait to, to see the millions more that you will touch through your podcast Thank here. You. So um, yeah. Many people know my story as a bit of a rags-to-riches story. Um, my mother had me at the age of 15, and um, we actually lived in a car behind a pizza hut in a small country town in Kansas. And, uh, you know, some vivid memories that I will never forget, being a young child, um, taking a, uh, a pillowcase and... Uh, putting cans from the trash can into the pillowcase uh, so that we could go to the grocery store and uh, turn it in for money so we could fill up the car with gas. And we would go to the gas station and uh, we would wash off in the gas station. That's where we would bathe. And uh, we would, uh, what was really cool is my mom wound up actually getting a job at the Pizza Hut. Okay, and she would purposely mess up pizzas and she would put them in the car so we would have something to eat at night. So we would drive out to the lake where we slept as well and we would lay on top of the car and eat pizza, which is my favorite food today. I think the first day of us together, I mm-hmm. ate pizza. <laughs> I am a pizza connoisseur. Um, and we would lay on top of that roof and she would, and I would look at the stars and she would say, do you see that big star right there, that bright star? Christy, one day you're gonna change the world. That's you. Wow. And uh, that was where my younger years began before uh, a lot, a lot of trauma began to uh take over my my life wow i mean i just i remember this first chapter of the book Mm -hmm. and i just i just couldn't this is why i read it in a day Mm -hmm. because you are so incredible and i just the story and and everything would you feel comfortable going into what happened after yeah yeah so what what in those earlier years shaping you and i know that there was you know, multiple relationships that your mom had and and what does that relationship look like now? Because that really sets the scene for how you got out and and where you are. Yeah, and what I'm still healing, Yes, which is incredible um, to uncover now at 47. But uh, yeah, there were quite quite a few very uh, dramatic and traumatic moments, which can be, you know, people can read about those in the book. But I would say, um, I'll share two Mm -hmm. vivid stories. Um, one story, we were living in North Carolina and my stepfather, who actually, she wound up marrying, um, the second father and he was the manager of the Pizza Hut and, uh, he wound up being quite abusive Mm -hmm. emotionally and physically. And we moved to North Carolina and I remember he hadn't come home for days. 
and uh, we were hungry. My mom had no money, and he was at his brother's house. And so we went over there, and she's banging on the door. And at that point, you know, you could smell. It was just there there it was lots it was lots of noise and there mm-hmm. was like just pot was coming out from underneath the door mm-hmm. the smell of it and um she's banging and she's banging and she's banging and finally he opens the door and it's me and my other two sisters and uh he pulls her in shoves her in um grabs her by the neck and hangs her up against the um the door and uh he starts calling her all kinds of horrible names. She's turning purple, and I go up, and I start punching him, and I said to let let her go, and he took her, and he threw her out on the ground. And uh, then my sisters and I were locked in with him, and I ran out and with my sisters, and my sisters laid on top of my mom crying, and I... Uh, and she said, baby, mommy needs help. Mm-hmm. You know, get help for me. So I'm going down every single door, banging and asking for someone to help. And uh, my sisters were crying. And at that point, uh, we, we left North Carolina and went back home. Mm-hmm. So that was one particular scene. How old were you? Oh, uh, gosh, it's, you know, I couldn't even tell you now. Mm-hmm. It probably says in my book. I don't remember right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that writing that book was actually a very uh, challenging year of writing because it made me bring up so many uh, memories. Mm-hmm. But it was also very healing. You know, that's why I think it's so important to talk about our past. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, one very big transitionary moment for me was at the age of 10 uh, with this father. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, I had actually, um, I had actually uh, been standing in the kitchen with my mother, and uh, she had to go off to work. And uh, he was in the other room, smoking, doing drugs, cocaine, you mm-hmm. name it, with people. And there's lots of music, and it was loud. And uh, she, my mom, had my baby sister on her hip, and uh, she said, "Babe, you need to go up, take your sister to your room. I have to go to work." And I begged her not to go, but of course she had to go. So we get upstairs. I put my sister to sleep, and I had this little bitty black and white TV, and uh, it had aluminum foil on the antenna, uh, for those of you old enough to know what that (laughs) means. Um, And the only channel that I could get in was one that was playing the Miss America pageant. And uh, I was mesmerized. I had never seen women more beautiful. And I remember thinking, they look so clean. Like I, the things I thought of, and I thought, God, why are they so clean? And I'm sitting there mesmerized, and I just hear, I hear this loud crash downstairs. It wakes up my baby sister. So I go downstairs, and I looked at my stepfather. I said, would you please quiet down? And he said, come here. And I said, no. And he said, come here. And I went to him, and he had some weed in his hand, and he said, smoke this. And I started shaking my head, and I said, no. And he said, if you don't smoke this, I'll kill you. So at 10 years old, I inhaled, and of course, he was trying to get me to, you know, fall asleep, so I wouldn't bother him, and as soon as I did inhale it, I vomited all over the place, and I had, when I looked at my own vomit, there was actually no food in it, so (sighs) it was just, Mm -hmm. you know, liquid, and he shoved me in my vomit and called me names and uh, told me to clean it up, and I ran upstairs after that. I grabbed my baby sister, and as I rocked her to sleep, I saw the new Miss America get crowned. And I said, one day, I'm going to be her. I'm getting us out of here. So at 10 years old, I stopped being a kid. 
Wow. I mean, I just, I mean, I know the stories, but it never gets easier to hear you talk about it. And I can imagine that for you, even at going into, you know, your late forties, what that does to a child. And I just want to touch on something because I know with the podcast, like we, we, we're going to go everywhere as we have the last four days that we've been talking and, and memories are coming up and we do the trauma work at the age of 10. What did you think was happening? Did you think it was normal? Did you think everyone else's families were the same? Did you, what did you think of life when you were 10 years old and dealing with that sort of thing? I personally thought God didn't love me. Wow. Because when I saw my friends who had nice families, they had nice clothes, they got, I mean, for me, I thought I did something wrong to deserve that life. I remember specifically wondering what I did to deserve it. Wow. Yeah. And how did you feel about your mom? Oh, my mom was my, my mom was my everything. Um, I mean, if you can imagine getting pregnant at 15 and then having a child at 16, Mm -hmm. I would say she had me at 15, but she actually, I mean, she has, when she got pregnant, she, she, she she had me right at 16. And, um, she like, they wanted, they wanted her to give me up. And so it was your grandparents, everybody, like everybody was like, you need to, you need to abort this Mm -hmm. baby. And back then that was very common, Mm -hmm. even more common. But because she wouldn't, they actually forced her out of school and said she was a disgrace to the school. So she was kicked out of school. And so, you know, I'm a huge believer in when we're pregnant, because I've had three, I have three beautiful grown men now. They embody a lot of what we're feeling Mm -hmm. in the womb. So you imagine what my mother would have been feeling she would have been feeling fear. She would have been feeling shame. She would have been feeling like she wasn't enough, scared, that she had to prove herself. I mean, all those feelings and all those feelings and emotions I mm-hmm. have had to work through because I have also carried those feelings in my own life. And I've had conversations with my own children about those things because in aspects of their lives, they also have experienced those emotions in some capacity. So it's why, my friends, it's so important to recognize that you have work, even if it's not yours, but it's ancestral mm-hmm. and it's been passed down you know, through the generations. Um, it, I know it seems unfair, that you have to clean up the messes of everyone that came before you, but it's it's truly necessary, and it's a gift that you will um, you will be rewarded for by doing this work. Do you feel like you carried any guilt as a child? I, for the fact that she had you and and you were in this position and and your biological father wasn't around at that time. Like, did you carry any of that? Oh, I carried. The um, there were so many emotion, you know, so many things that I carried guilt. Uh, that probably came later on in life. Um, I carried uh, responsibility, feeling like I needed to save my family, um, and wow. that has been a very uh, a big healing for me in this life, where I've always tried to fix people. Mm-hmm. 
the ones I love. You know, if I, I deeply love you and I'm, you know, shouting from the mountaintop or the rooftop, you can heal it this way. <laughs> Even though my advice may be sage, um, they may not be ready. Um, and most of the time they're not ready to hear it. It has to only come when they are ready to receive. And I just carried so much like burden it was a, a burden and I felt responsible that it felt like everyone around me um they weren't as aware or as conscious as I was even from a very young age it didn't make sense to me there were I, I observed people I had to read a room all the time to make sure I was going to be safe, safe that day yeah and so um thank goodness for those things because that made me more able to connect with people to feel them right to really feel people and so it ha the curse has is really become mm -hmm. a gift so is is there listen my stories as hard as it might sound to some people it's just a drop in the bucket compared to some people's traumas like mm -hmm. I mean, I'm overwhelmed sometimes <clears throat> when I hear some of these unbelievable stories of people that have overcome um, some um, incredible odds. But again, we all have stuff, all of us, and there's no, you know, there's nothing that's, you know, we can't compare mm -hmm. because it all, like we, you and I, Vic, we talked about the same part of the brain mm -hmm. is activated, whether it's a physical energy, um, in an injury or an emotional injury, and pain is pain. So... These stories are not to be compared with yours at home. I want to share a happy ending with you and a forever happy ending with you so you can know whatever it is you're going through. Uh, you have the power, the strength, the capacity to deal with it. Honestly, you're just incredible. I, I just look at you with such awe and I, I know that we have to get off the childhood topic at some point, but mm -hmm. I could talk, I just, I just feel like you're adding so much value. You're being so vulnerable and if anything, it's just giving you know, my listeners, the ability to say, wow, you know, you can overcome anything. So I think I want to close this chapter um, with asking you, why do you think that some people in your position choose to rise like you did, where you said, I'm going to get out, I'm going to be different. This isn't the story for me. And why do you think some people allow it to become the next generation? Because I truly look at you and I think you could have easily gone such a different way. And we're obviously going to talk about the rest of your life as well. But what do you think it is? What do you think it was? What was the moment where you were like, this will never be my story? I'm probably not going to give a typical answer. Um, I love that about you. <laughs> I learn every time we talk to each other. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm a huge believer in past lives, uh, regardless whether you believe it or not, that's fine. Um, but I do believe that our souls come here for correction. And there are many lifetimes, I believe, that I had similar or worse tests. And I just, I knew I was familiar with that kind of emotional injury and I just had to clean it up. I had to get through it faster. Many times while I was going through it, I thought, oh, I feel like I've been through this before is what I thought as a young child. I was like, okay, let's get, and it was just felt like I kept getting through it, getting through it, like smart in a smart way. And I always knew I was taken care of. So, um, I just, 
I believe that the lack of willingness to believe that you are 100% capable of healing mm-hmm. it um, is probably why people uh, re-enter many lifetimes without correcting because they simply are not allowing themselves to be um, aware of their ability to clean mm-hmm. the dishes of their life because the dishes are never done. And um, and so I, uh, I believe that you have absolutely chosen exactly the life that you have. Every person, every pain, every trauma, they are there by you, designed by you and the creator to challenge you to evolve, mm-hmm. expand, grow, become her. Okay? And so without that, you can't fulfill your mission. The only problem is the ego has a louder voice oftentimes than the soul's whisper. Now it's harder than ever because we are inundated with social media information information energy Mm -hmm. is everywhere we feel so lost it's hard to listen it is hard to listen to the whispers of the soul Mm -hmm. and that is my mission as i continue to grow and expand is to help people to tap into listening to the whispers of the soul because this life can be hell or it can be heaven on earth. We get to choose. And hell is the disruption that we create in our bodies by allowing the wrong people, the wrong sounds, the wrong information to inundate us Mm. and literally absorb into our soul. And we get lost and we get trapped in that. And we continue to do the same thing with the same people and the, over and over. Mm-hmm. And we just feel like we're a hamster on the wheel. And one day we wake up and we realize that we wasted all this life doing the same things with the same people. And we got nowhere. And now we have to come back in the next life and clean it up again. One life. Well, we'll hopefully get it. You know, that's my biggest fear is always like, oh my gosh. I know there's certain things that my, I, I have a hard time with guys. Like, you know, so many fears popped up for me in my forties that I never even knew existed. And some days I'm like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to learn this lesson? (laughs) Dude, come on. But just the intention, the awareness that we know we don't have it all figured out and that we are on the healing journey together and you know, Vic, you and I really talked about judgment and and the power in that to heal when we don't judge each other, mm-hmm. when we allow someone to be where they are without the judgment of that. Like, guys, we have so much work to do. We are mm-hmm. so far from where we, we, we can be if we can just allow people hold space for people for their pain and their suffering I mean it's just so beautiful guys I just feel like this is the stuff that we've got to know people like you like this is this is the work isn't it Mm -hmm. and you and I could spend four days in Arizona Mm -hmm. and we still haven't even scratched the surface Mm -hmm. of 
of what we need to do and what we need to talk about. So I'm so grateful for you and thank you for sharing. So I want to go into the first or maybe the second becoming her moment. Um, You moved out of home when you were 16 and you went into pageants and then you went into modeling. And if you haven't seen a photo of Christy, she's absolutely stunning, not only on the inside, but the outside as well. And so did you feel like that was the way out? That was what you saw? What got you into that industry? Well, when I met my biological father when I was um, a little after 10 years old, um, I was so excited to meet him because I actually thought that he, he was kind of like Chevy Chase. He's no longer on the planet anymore. But if you've ever seen Vacation with Chevy Chase, like that is one of my favorite movies ever because that was my dad. But I imagined he was going to pick me up the first time I met him in a limo. So I, and, and I was all prepared with my braids and my hair. And uh, I was sitting outside waiting for him. And he shows up in this brown El Camino, which it, if you don't know what an El Camino is, it's like a um, ute. A ute, a truck. Okay, yeah, like a miniature <laughs> ugly one. So he, he shows up making this noise down the street and stops right in front of me. And he comes out in blue bell bottoms and looks at me and says, hi, Christina, I'm your father. And I looked him in the eyes. I said, no, you're not. (laughs) And he, because I had imagined in my head it was going to be some really wealthy man who was going to take me away to his mansion and save me. Mm -hmm. And so I threw my suitcase in the back of the ute (laughs) and uh, literally watched my reflection as I drove away from my grandma's house and tears were in my eyes because I had just been let down, even though he you know at that age I mean you don't know Mm -hmm. any different right but he wound up being such a beautiful soul however his wife at the time had just found out about me and was not very happy and we were on uh, I was visiting one weekend and my dad had a uh, work picnic and uh, they were too ashamed to take me to the work picnic because they didn't want to have to explain about me so they dropped they took their other two kids to the picnic and dropped me off with the strep the step-grandmother and so at the time I didn't realize it was hurt it hurt me but I didn't I couldn't Mm -hmm. conceptualize it at the time so we were sitting in do you did you ever have the prices right yeah yeah okay so she had the prices right on and um, I was sitting on the orange shag carpet while she was ironing and we had um, newspaper and I was looking at the comics and laughing and whatnot and I saw an ad for the Miss Junior Kansas America pageant and I was so excited because remember I had seen that that mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, I want to be a beauty queen. So I jumped up so excited, and I went to my step grandmother, and I said, I want to do this. This is my dream. I want to do this. And she looks down at me, and she says, Well, pageants are only for pretty girls, and you, you are not pretty. And at that moment, wow. I sat down. And the tears fell from my eyes and one by one hit the newspaper and I believed her. Mm-hmm. And I went home that weekend. My, my dad took me to my house. I went and slammed the door in my room. And my mom, my mom, who's like Aaron Brockovich on steroids, <laughs> walks into my room. She goes, baby, what's going on with you? And I said, mom, I can't live my dream. I'm sorry. I'm And at that point, I'm thinking, I'll never save my family. We're going to be stuck like this forever. And she goes, what happened? And I told her, and you should have seen her. She 
stormed out of my room. Full mama bear mode. Full mama bear. The only thing we had in our fridge was Spam and Folgers. Okay, so she grabbed this red Folgers can. She dumped everything out of it. She wrote the future Miss Junior Kansas America, Christy Dupree. I love this story. And she comes in there and she goes, you want this? I said, yes, but I'm not. She goes, shush. Yeah. We're going to go to every single door in this town and we're going to raise the $200 that you need to be in this beauty pageant. Do you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. So every day she picked me up in the big blue ugly ass station wagon and she had her Siggy and she was wearing my crop top and short shorts. Of course, you know, imagine. She's 20 She's 20 something. something. <laughs> and I'm mortified because everybody else's mom looks like June Cleaver and my mom, you know, was showing her, not her June Cleavage. And so she's in the car smoking and go to that one, go to that one. And every time I go up to a door asking for money, you know, a dog would be humping my leg or a door was slammed on my face or I'd get 20 bucks here or $5 there. And we did it every day until I raised that money. And the coolest thing about this, the step grandmother who said that to me, which caused my mom to get angry and take action. And then us to do this was that, that taught me how to take rejection. Mm -hmm. So that built fight in you built a fight in me so when it came down to the modeling industry when people turn me down in my head I said they're just stupid Mm -hmm. they're just crazy they don't know how to what a great model I am just because I'm 5'4 oh no oh no I'm gonna like I was my mother spoke these words into me and she said don't you ever let anybody tell you don't you ever so she may not have had the education at that point now she has a doctorate in nursing Uh, She went through private college and got a 4.0 all the way through. So um, it's truly a really beautiful story. But that's how I went into the, I wound up winning Miss Kansas Teen USA. I went to Miss Teen USA with Dick Clark, was nationally televised, went on um, later on in in my Mrs. years and did Mrs. Kansas. And, you know, the the thing about that, Vic, is that um, I was never told growing up you could be a doctor, Christy. Mm-hmm. You could, you could be a whatever. It was always Christy. You're so pretty. Christy looks like Brooke Shields. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that that's all I, I could do. All you had to offer. That's all I had to offer. Yeah. So, I started getting love and connection and attention from the world by being a beauty queen. So now my family. Now my mom was, I think, on her third or marriage. Um, when I st- started winning pageants and um, she everybody stopped fighting and everybody felt like they were winning in life so now I took on the responsibility to continually add merits to my achievements so mm-hmm. that people I could see them joyful and so that became a, a fear was a big driving force for me and my success because I was afraid that my children one day would have to I would I never wanted them to suffer the way I did so fear drove me wow. love did not drive me fear wow. drove me wow I mean we could end the podcast right here and everybody would have learned 25 different lessons by now you're just incredible so you went on to do modeling you ended up doing your pageants you obviously met loads of people in the industry you're extremely creative it's something i love so much about you you're a doer you're a producer you're a creative but you also fell in love mm-hmm. when you were young or what you thought was love mm-hmm. what you thought you wanted mm-hmm. can we go into that when you met your husband oh, okay well 
I actually didn't fall in love with my um, ex-husband. I actually was uh, dating, the, you, you can learn in the book if you guys ever are interested in more. I mean, you should definitely get the book. It, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. So funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, my Chippendale boyfriend <laughs> that I was dating and traveling the world with um, was before my ex-husband. But um, he did not present safety and security for me. He was a, a beautiful boy from the South. Can you explain what a Chippendale boyfriend means to Okay, anybody? so you've heard what Thunder Down Under is? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, that's <laughs> what he did but in the U.S. version. Right. Okay, okay. so he was... He was he, he was a he glorified was stripper. <laughs> um, and he was very pretty. And I had never... They never made him look like that in Kansas. So when I hit that jackpot, I thought, oh my God, I am like... I've died and gone to heaven. But no, it wasn't that pretty because... He was great to look at, um, had a great, you know, had a lot of money, which I had never had. His family, family money. money. <laughs> Let's correct that. And, um, but he did not present me with safety and security whatsoever. Which is what you were craving more than anything I was, at this I, point I, in time. I, need, I, I needed that. So after the, the many um, uh, explosive episodes between he and I, um, he had verbally abused rights with me mm -hmm. and I had had enough and I completely shut that door. Mm -hmm. I was in Kansas at the time and I, my mom drove me all the way back to Memphis, t Germantown, Tennessee. I packed up my stuff and I said, hasta la vista. And I'd never looked back and he wrote all kinds of love letters trying to get me back and I was done. A couple months later, I had received a very strong vision and see, the thing to know about me at this time, I'm like 19 years old. I was never a party girl. I went to, you know, some parties here and there. But if 19, you would catch me in the bookstore trying to pick up guys. Um, I worked out two hours every day. I was just a, I was just a different kind of girl. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was sitting and I, I heard a voice that said to go to the country music bar. And I never went to bars. And I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I've got to go to this country music bar. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I have to go, Mom. And if you don't go with me, I'm going by myself. And my mom says, you're not going by yourself. So my mother goes with me to this bar. And that night, I met my ex-husband. And he was actually born on my dad's birthday and his dad's birthday. I mean, we, we met on my dad's birthday and his dad's mm -hmm. birthday. And the moment I met him, I saw like fireworks. Mm -hmm. It was like this energy between us. And uh, two months later, we were pregnant and I settled down. Now he provided for me. He was sweet. He was kind. He was safe and he was secure. He was probably everything that you've never had, but always wanted. He was all of that. Mm -hmm. But see, I had never felt love. Like, what does it mean to be in love? And you'd also probably never felt love from... A masculine. Yeah, from any... If, from no. in terms of like family, in terms of probably good no. friends, like you, you just really had no idea what no. it was meant to feel like. And to be honest, I over the last maybe five years, I realized um, my family we never hugged, we never gave kisses. Like my, it's still if I get around my sisters, they have a hard time, like being affectionate. Um, nobody just was affectionate, so. No, if not really much affection. My mom was very good with her, you got this, don't mm -hmm. let anybody mess with you kind of thing, which was very valuable. 
but my grandmother and my grandfather were probably the most affectionate and most loving and cuddly and whatnot. So when you met your ex-husband at, how old were you? 19. 19. Gosh, that's so young, isn't it? Mm. So when you met him and there was this, maybe the first time you've ever felt, oh my gosh, this person could make me feel safe and this person could give me things that I've, I've not wanted before. Do you feel like you instantly just attached yourself? 100%. And to share with everybody on the show, my ex-husband knows this, but I, I haven't shared it publicly with anybody wow. yet. Um, but I'm here doing that now. But I remember th- um, a girlfriend of mine had, um, I had had a hard time being on birth control because being a, a model, I gained, I gained weight on birth control. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't actually be on it because then it messed up me getting jobs. So my girlfriend who had had children by the natural methods told me, well, Christy, let me just tell you how to, you know, know when you're ovulating. And this was before we had any kind of ovulation or whatever, ovulation sticks or whatever. We didn't have any of that. And so she explained to me how to check and what it, whatever. And so this one night I was with my ex-husband and I remember going to the bathroom and I actually, it looked like I was ovulating you know, cause it gets gooey and sticky mm-hmm. or whatnot. And, um, I was like, Oh my God, I think I'm ovulating. And I said, okay, well, if we get pregnant, we get, pregnant. we get pregnant and you know, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. He'd be a great dad. <clears throat> wow. And, um, what do you know? We got wow. pregnant and I carried that shame with me for, I was so excited to be a mother and mm-hmm. I was so excited that I actually attracted a man who was like had a college degree and had a family that was all good and great um, that I had never had and I thought well this is everything I want for having a family like they I he'll be a great dad wow so um yeah, it took me years later to actually confess that to my ex-husband. And, of course, his reaction was like, well, I don't care. Look at what we got. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this is like, I mean, it turned out pretty good. But it, it was it, it was definitely um, a skeleton I had in my closet because wow. I was so afraid. And, uh, yeah, and I do believe that uh, it's important to share that because – would I change any of it? No, because I've got three of the most beautiful boys in the world. They're so beautiful. They're epic. Mm. And so I guess I share that vulnerably to tell you not to beat yourself up from you making decisions in the past that you did the best you could mm-hmm. with what you knew, with what you had. That's the best I could do in that moment coming from the life I came from. Wow, thank you for so much for sharing. And I think not only, you know, to to be kinder to yourself, but also everyone's doing the best that they're doing in the place that they are with what they know. Yeah. So just to not judge ourselves and what we were talking about before, which I know you and I are going to keep our, each other accountable mm-hmm. to not judge others as well. Mm-hmm. So what was the marriage like? What was it like having a young family? What was it everything you ever wanted? Was it completely different? What was, what was that like for you? So being a mother for me and being successful was the most important things in my Mm -hmm. life. Um, Raising a family for me was like everything. Like I was going to provide my children with 
the motherhood, the mothering and the fathering and the life that I only dreamed of. Mm -hmm. I made sure, no matter what I did, that I made it a priority to teach my children how to be great humans. And they are. And they are. And um, my relationship with my ex-husband, he was a good, he is a good man. He was a good man. He was a good father. I never had to worry about him cheating on me. Mm -hmm. Never even. I actually, towards the last decade of our relationship, wished he would cheat on me. Mm -hmm. And this is how bad I let it get because I wasn't listening to my needs and my heart. I I used to think, well, if he would cheat on me and make it easier for me to To leave. leave. Because he's so nice. Why would you leave someone who loves you so much? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's a whole nother story that will be in my fifth book that will be released probably next year. But uh, sis, j- running, uh, starting a business, running a business. Yeah, let's just t- touch on that quickly. Mm-hmm. So you started a business at 26. And how did that correlate with the family, with the life that you were building? Because you obviously were extremely successful as Mm -hmm. you heard in the intro christie's business has done over a billion dollars in sales over the last two decades like we're talking extreme Mm -hmm. success so the success of the business plus this what most people would consider this dream relationship with this safe man plus three beautiful children that you're raising in this house that you built and and from the outside everyone would have thought that you were living your absolute dream yeah the white picket fence. The white picket fence. I actually had one with it, with a swing in the front yard, and the dogs, and the, yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely um, projected a storybook life, and to be honest with you, I mean, at the time, that's that's all I knew, and I believed it was storybook, um, because compared to where I came from, right? But listen, it wasn't easy for. I'm not going to downplay how difficult it was to live with me being a toxic Aries, you know, early on in my uh, years, being that I, my mother really taught me never to let a man take care of you. It's not, you take care of yourself, don't ever, you know, you run the show. So I demasculinated my my husband I believe in the beginning of our marriage in the sense and and of course I take responsibility but then he has to take responsibility it's not just you know I can't claim all of that um and the thing was that I was so strong in my opinions that nobody else really their opinion never mattered (laughs) because it's like listen I got to survive here I got a family to take care of if you don't like it if you don't like me well you know where the door is and that was just the way I could, was so sometimes so rash. And my ex-husband would say, oh my gosh, how can you be, like, how can you love a homeless person, a stranger you don't even know so much, but then you're, you like, it's like I'm, you know, I'm no one. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, a lot of it, my heart was so blocked. It was blocked. And I craved for someone to do the work with me. I craved for someone to hold space for me and to hear me and listen to me. And see you. And see me and honor me. And 
I felt like I didn't, I didn't have anyone in my life that could give me that except for my best friend who died in a tragic accident. And, um, you know, there, there's many stories, but yeah, that was, um, I am forever grateful for the three men I received in that marriage. And he held space for me to work a business. Mm -hmm. Like he supported that. But of course that was my rules. (laughs) I was like, nope, this isn't what what I'm doing, what we're going to do. So, I was able to build a very successful business, write many books, make movies, do you know all kinds of things. Um, but it was all driven from still needing validation mm-hmm. from the world that I was worthy enough to even live here on this planet. Wow. And if I was getting, standing on a stage in front of 16,000 people and they clap for me, oh, wow, I'm really worthy mm-hmm. now. Or... If I earned enough rewards, oh, I'm 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 really worthy of that love. achievement. The achievement always more, always, always more. more, always more. Wow, I mean, it's just it's just incredible your journey. So, I want to talk about what you call the dark night of the soul. The the night that you said, "I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in this marriage." Oh, jeez. Okay, so I just have to encourage you guys when I when I get this next book written, <laughs> you know trust that you'll me. have hundreds of pre-orders from this audience. You're gonna, yeah, you're they, gonna need to a, a minute. It's gonna be, yeah. I, I I know it's gonna change. It's gonna really change the world in some way because I I look back at her mm-hmm. and what she went through and what she's been through and. I'm in awe of I'm her in courage, awe. of her. Yeah. And I'm not talking even about me because I feel like a different me right now. Of that little girl. Because she's now... The teenager. All of that. And, yeah. But even who I was as a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, God dang. She just... She... She was I, relentless. She was relentless. She was determined. Nobody was going to stop her. Nobody. And I admire her for not giving up. Mm-hmm. When nobody else believed, when everybody else said she would fail, when everybody else said what she was doing was stupid, when everyone thought she was crazy and she said, no, no. And um, so there is, you heard that saying, it's lonely at the top. Mm -hmm. And a, a big part of that is true. But I believe it's lonelier when you never even take the journey to try to get to your top because you always live in the shadows of your greatness and you're always wondering, what if? What if? And I used to say, you know what? I'm going to get to my dream. I'm going to. I don't care if I have to knock on every freaking door in the United States of freaking America. I'm going <laughs> to freaking do it. And I don't care. I don't care. That's how bad I want it. And listen, if I get to my dream and I don't like it, I'll quit. Then I'll quit. But I'm not quitting Quitting before now. I get there, yeah. Not quitting before I even get there. Not. And so that was like my determination. I just needed a vehicle. I needed a vehicle to just get me mm-hmm. somewhere. I was working as a nanny for Pete's sake in the beginning, like driving to these doctors' houses that I watched their kids. live. They were living in these, you know, six you know, half, half a million dollar house, whatever. I, I think my rent was 500 bucks at the time. So for me, like 
they were educated they were in this big fancy houses and I felt so inadequate I feel like I'm not you know like there was this part of me the way they spoke to me like I was less than and I said oh my god one of these days I'm gonna become so great I mean it truly is like a pretty woman moment isn't it for you it was so many moments I remember one time I um had earned um a, a, a very expensive vehicle and a very expensive one and I drove up to Chipotle <laughs> and nobody else was there it was, it was after it was like probably two or three and uh the guy working at Chipotle looks at me and he goes oh my gosh what does your husband do and I said I retired him what's your wife do <laughs> and he looked at me and it was like those were the moments for me that I worked so hard mm -hmm. for. Um, and uh, I n I'll never forget what that feels like. And so even though I'm not driven by external motivation anymore, and sometimes I miss that because that was actually really fun sometimes, mm -hmm. right? I, it just doesn't drive me. That What drives me now is my heart and really um, doing the work and yes. helping others. This drives yes. me. This mm -hmm. drives me. Helping you all that drives me yeah. hearing that my story um inspired you to not quit or it inspired you to be courageous and take action and have the conversation or to you know nudge you that I'll do that all day long. and you're you're doing it in strides you know you're mm -hmm. doing it through the, your books and your podcast and your Instagram and sharing your experience and and you're doing it by healing you're doing mm -hmm. it by healing the work and the trauma and then sharing it which is yeah. what we were talking about this morning so you left the marriage. Tell us the story about your grandma. Yeah, so I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff that you guys get the juicy stuff. You're going to want to know why I left the marriage. Um, but I, We're going to leave that for the book. We're going to leave that for the book, but I'm telling you, it's incredible. But um, I, I was, my grandmother came to visit, and let's just say I was at the, at, at the end of my, I was at the end of this journey with my ex. We had, had you been thinking about it for a while? No. Interesting. So you hadn't been sitting at home thinking something's wrong, this isn't the one. Like, remember, you'd been married since you were 19. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah. God knows what I was doing when I was 19, let me tell you. <laughs> so That's another podcast. That's episode. another podcast. So, you know, you were married at 19. You had no idea of any life that was different. And suddenly... You're 40 and you're thinking, I think I want to leave mar my marriage. So my, what actually happened where my kids were growing up, my older son was now getting married. He was actually just got married. I, I actually married him and my daughter-in-law was mm -hmm. really beautiful. My middle son was going off to college. He wanted to go to San Francisco and play college ball. I had the little one left, little Cruz. He's not little anymore, if you all know. He's probably going to be the next bachelor, so you might want to stand in line. He is gorgeous. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so is Nash. He's in Hawaii, too. He's single, too. Not that I'm putting my They're children both up gorgeous. there. They're just amazing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I convinced my ex. I'd always wanted to move from Kansas. And now somehow, somehow... I convinced him out of all those years to consider the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'll never live in California, but I would live in Oregon. And he found this town that he said, you're going to love this town. It's like a little hippie town. It's just like you, Christy. And I would 
consider moving there. And that once he said that, I said, it's done. And we, it's like our family at that time, we're, we're moving. So I remember him saying to me, I'm afraid if we move there, you're going to leave me. Wow. And I said to him, I remember thinking, what are you smoking? Like, have I ever given you a signal or a clue that I'm going to leave? Like, see, for me, loyalty was the most important thing for me because you didn't have that. Yeah. So like everyone left you, everyone left me. I was not going to leave my children. I was not going to do what was done to me. So we moved to Oregon and it had been, I had felt me losing myself. I was just, I wasn't as passionate. I wasn't serving as much. I felt empty And one night he and I went on a date at like six o'clock and we get back home not long after that. And he goes downstairs, sits in front of his TV, reads his same magazine, drinks a bottle of wine and eats his peanuts. There's ships passing in the night. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And I said, would you come here? And he comes upstairs. I said, I can't do this. I want to go to the... I go, I want to go to museums. I want to go to music. I want to listen to music. I want to do, I got to live my life. I can't do, he goes, what do you expect me to do, Christy? And I said, not this. I can't do this forever. He went right back downstairs, sat in front of his TV and drank his wine. You were unsettled. I was just, something had to change. I prayed that that night. I actually prayed. I said, God, please bring more love into my life. I was praying for it in my marriage. Two weeks later, a man appeared in my life, and it wasn't my husband. And for the first time in my life, I felt love, true, deep love. I had never in my life experienced the love different from children. He opened me. Wow. I'm not with that man now. That man led me to the current relationship I'm in, which has been the biggest growth relationship of my life. And so um, there's many things in between there, brothers and sisters listening to this. But if you don't listen, the universe will force you to listen. And it may not look pretty. Most of the time it's not because, see, the universe is nice to us once gives us plenty of knocks Mm -hmm. but when we don't answer the door that's when there's trouble and so we really have to pay attention we need to have those crucial conversations see for 20 some years I begged my ex-husband to grow with me get therapy to do the work and he wouldn't he absolutely wouldn't you can't grow in a relationship where it's just one way Mm -hmm. and do you feel like you had never been in love until this person after your ex-husband at 40 do you I was 42 when I met him I know wow I had never tasted love in my life until I was 42 never wow the minute I tasted it. I just got it, full body goosebumps. And I know this story yeah. in, in depth. I could probably write the chapter of your book. I know yeah. it that well. Yeah, because yeah, that was intense. It was intense for anybody that was going and through it. And you knew straight away, what is this? Was it was it a 
feeling? Was it, what was that connection like? I mean, without going into detail, because I know that obviously it's in the book, but. There was something that was very cosmic that occurred. An energy exchange. There was an energy that occurred that he was actually my physical therapist and he was working on me and we were able to have these conversations that were so deep and so meaningful and we got lost in each other's in each other's you know what questions in life and there was a particular moment and for those of you that believe in energy which i do okay. and most of the people that listen okay. will this is something it was like the night i had met my husband for the first time when i heard that download go to the bar right i was on the table and he was working on me and there was like a jolt of lightning that shot through my body i literally pulled myself up off the table and i said what was that and he's like what was that we were both so confused because it was like this intense energy that was unlike anything I had ever felt. You can't even really explain it until you feel it. It was almost like my heart had been opened. It was like, it was like this burst open of like my heart chakra was now alive. I was alive. Wow. During that time, my grandmother came to visit me and I always promised my husband and I asked him to always promise me, if you ever feel like you need to re- leave the relationship, tell me first, don't cheat on me, mm-hmm. please. I have seen too much of that growing up. Just do me that service. And so I'm now fully confused because I can't stop thinking about this person. This I've never felt this for a man in my life, okay? Never. And my grandma comes and we're sitting at the park. and, and uh, This is my favorite story. Yeah. And I said, my grandma is now going to be 89, so she was probably 85 at the time. And I said, Grandma, I said, did you, you miss Grandpa? Because Grandpa had just passed away about a year earlier. They were married for over 50 years. And she said, um, honestly, sweetie, no. And I looked at her because, listen, my, my grandma there's nobody I believe on in planet, on planet Earth that loves Jesus more than Grandma. Like she, she, they. I mean, that's her brother, brother from another mother. And she said, "Christy, your grandpa was the most beautiful, kind, loving man, but I was lonely my entire life. He never talked to me." I looked out into the water at the ducks. And I said, that's my life. Oh, I honestly could cry every time I think about this story. Hear it. I said, not me. No, not me, Grandma. And that was, that was the moment for you, wasn't it? Right after that, yeah. the universe gave me, and I don't know, I want to tell you this. I was taking my grandma to, to this jeweler who was in from Canada. Her name's Kate King, and she makes vibrational jewelry that vibrates at your frequency. Mm-hmm. It's really cool hippie sh- shit. <laughs> <laughs> if you all know me, you'll know I'm into all that. And um, so I took grandma because I wanted to have a special necklace fade- made for my grandma. And we get in there, and I see Kate. Her name's Kate King. 
and she's very intuitive and a channeler and is very psychic and I was not expecting this but she takes me aside and she knows nothing nothing about my story nothing she looks into my eyes and she says you're about ready to go through the hardest thing you've ever endured in your life and she gets closer with tears in her eyes and she says write the book wow and I looked at her and I said oh because this was a bookstore that I was at too mm. I said oh I already wrote the book see that book gather yeah that's my new book she looks at me and she grabs my hand and she says, Christy, not that book. Write the book. The story hasn't even begun yet. Mm. Wow. Wow. I left, dropped my grandma off at the airport a few days later, <clears throat> went home, and I looked at my husband and I said, I'm leaving the marriage. I got myself a place. I knew if given the minute to be alone with this man, I would definitely have an affair. So I left the marriage. You honored. I honored my my Your promise. My my promise. Now that you have to read the book to actually know what happened because the uh, the lover did not, and that created some major chaos in mm -hmm. my life. But nevertheless, it was still the person that opened you up to a love he that was you a never gift that knew. opened me up. To opened love, your heart. Yeah, which allowed beautiful Gonzalo, my current partner. <laughs> and hopefully, if you're listening to this 10 years or 20 years from now, he's still my current partner. But we love we're him. working on not being attached. <laughs> That's a whole nother book. So, uh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So before we talk um, and we finish up with your current relationship and everyone else is going to read the book, um, between the marriage and the lover that opened up your heart, and Gonzalez, your current partner, there was a period of time that you were on your own for the first time in your life. There was a period mm -hmm. of time that you were, you know, you had grown men as children and they, you know, didn't need their mama in the same capacity. You were now not a wife for the first time in decades. You had built a business that could do its thing without you and you didn't need to be there. And suddenly you've gone from having all this responsibility and all of this, you know, people's need for you and you're now on your own. And I know you went on a solo healing journey, which is what I'd been on for the last six months. I'm so inspired by you. I remember watching it. This, is, this was before we became very close friends. How important was that for you? How important was the alone time, the quiet, the healing, all of that? I'm going to try not to get emotional during this segment. You are getting emotional. I'm getting, but I'm going to try, I'm going to squeeze my butt cheeks because that's what we've been told to do because that keeps the tears in because Frida Davenport always says her tears are attached <laughs> to her bladder and mine definitely are. Um, I, um, when things didn't work out with the lover, okay, let's just call him that. I'm alone and I had not planned on that. I'm in a new town where I don't know really anybody. All the way on the other side of the country. And uh, this is right pre-COVID. And I would spend hours in meditation. I remember curled up in a ball crying like a baby. Thinking if anybody that I've led to their promised land saw me right now 
they would be so ashamed. I was ashamed of myself. I was hurting so bad. Sobbing. I remember my youngest boy came over one day. And he was 15 at the time. Because he wasn't grown man yet. He was still at home. And he just held me. My middle son wrote me a letter telling me, you're the most beautiful person in the world and I am the man I am because of you and only the love that you showed me. And like just, they were so there. Nobody could take away the pain. I tried going to therapy. I tried going to psychics. I tried climbing a mountain with 80 pounds on my back to sleep on top of the mountain alone to face my fear with bears and mountain lions anywhere with tequila and dried food. I drove across a part of the country alone in silence. I did plant medicine. I did ayahuasca. I did peyote. I did sananga. I did hape. For those of you that know anything what I'm talking about, I did more than a hero's journey of psilocybin. This was coming from a girl. When I caught one of my boys with weed, they, they'd never been so scared in their life. Like they were never going to touch that again. <laughs> and now here their mother was going on all these plant medicine journeys to heal. Um... I had to abandon everything that I thought I was to figure out who I really was. It and was shedding and it was unbecoming and it was... It was not pretty. Yeah. It was the ugliest thing. It was the most painful thing. But it had to make room for what was coming in. And I remember a voice in a very dark moment saying to me, you just wait till you see what's coming. Wow. Trust us. And there is, in my book, I will talk about what I did and what I was told to do that led me to the current partner. But um, it was, guys, it was so unbecoming. It was so unbecoming. And I will never forget that pain. But it was necessary. I think about if I was still where I was, I would be miserable. It, you, would, you chose your heart? Like we, I chose Like we my, talk I about all the time. fucking hard. Excuse yeah. bleep. I chose hard. But there was no other choice for me. Yeah. Because settling was not an option. I couldn't spend the rest of my life living a mediocre, yeah. complacent, just getting by. Like, I'm not afraid to do work. You know that about mm -hmm. me. But if I don't have someone on the other side doing the work with me, I don't care how freaking great I am. It's not going to work. Yeah. And that was the problem. I wasn't getting matched. And I needed relationships and partnerships with people that could match yeah. my effort and and don't you think that when you are in a relationship or a marriage like that 
even if you don't know at the time and obviously you're on the other side now and you know your book is going to explain that beautifully and that's a, the next chapter for you but when you're in that don't you think that it affects every aspect of your life without you even knowing it when you're not alive and when you're not aligned and when you're with somebody that you feel like you're settling with they're not they're not like we have to have love we have to because you can't live a fulfilled life we have we have to have love we don't have to have another person correct and I always thought that I had to have a person I always thought I had to have an achievement. I always thought there had to be something outside of me that would fulfill me. Even up into the last few years, that was a lot of the work I was doing. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the universe, I would taste the peak of the mountain in business and that didn't last long. It was beautiful. It tasted amazing. It was sweet. I traveled the world. I, oh, the most incredible experiences we could talk days about. Incredible. And then it would go away. Mm -hmm. And then all other aspects, all this wealth would come in. Then it would go away. Mm -hmm. The relationship comes in. It didn't go away. Well, one of them did, but... I'm talking about my current one. But I was asking for others to sustain the love mm -hmm. that I needed to sustain for myself. For yourself. Wow. And I was so afraid of losing that love that I squeezed it so many times. And then other times tried to sabotage it. That's why I've just created a course on self-sabotage. I'm so excited for this. Everyone's going to need to get <sighs> their hands on it. I know we're going to talk about that before we finish up. Yeah. And so everything I got, I would sabotage. And um, whether it was like not believing I was worthy of it, deserving of it, or I would squeeze it so tight it would die. Mm -hmm. I mean, not a person, but you know. <laughs> um, so... Man, that's, girl, there's a lot to unpack and uncover there. But what I will end in saying is that everything that is yours is meant to be yours. Mm -hmm. If it's not yours, it's not yours. Mm -hmm. And you're only going to know it if you give 100% effort, physical and spiritual, emotional effort. And at that point, if you've given everything you can, yeah. and that's not enough, it doesn't work. It'll, it was never going to be enough. Meant, never going to be enough. I mean, we could, the reinventions for you, which is what I wanted to share with people through my podcast and my journey, the reinvention for you is it's just endless. I think you're probably one of the people I look at most and think, wow, you know, if I'm 47 and still working and still growing and still wanting to do the work, that's a good place to be because you really are, you're just, you're doing it. So to finish up, let's talk about where you are now. Let's mm. talk about this current point in time in your relationship. I know you're obviously going to write about it in the book. And then what's next for you? The book, the course, 
what's the next version of Christy Dryling? Mm. Well, Vic, she's becoming every day. And I'm in the process of now just sharing how I've been able to heal through such hard decisions in life, you know, different chapters in my life that were just shattering at times. So I'm helping others to navigate the own muddy waters of their life as I'm still becoming the best version of Christy that Christy can become. And that means that it doesn't look perfect. That means that I am in a current partnership that has been ex- extremely passionate where guys I in my marriage I didn't even like having sex I thought something was wrong with me I thought I was broken and I would see my friends that had beautiful sex lives and I thought well I guess not for me not in this lifetime I'm never gonna have that I got everything else but I can't have that and the truth is that I just didn't have the right person Mm -hmm. I've experienced intimacy on a level that I never thought it could exist but I've also experienced darkness that I've never experienced that scared me so much because so many times I thought I felt like I was going backwards and I was afraid of it I would run from the pain I would run from the fear and think how could I have gone from being someone that was so powerful to not very powerful, Mm. which was an illusion and a lie that I had to work through. Because see, we like to think that pain makes us weak when it's actually the pain that makes you strongest. So I was in my spiritual gym every day, getting tested by the universe and the creator to get stronger to let go, to surrender, and to most importantly, trust. I was tested beyond measure regarding my ability to trust in the creator. And I hated it so many times. But once I learned the spiritual tools that I could use to equip me out there in this world, that can be so hard, guys, that is what gave me comfort to know that I can pass through anything. And we will all go through things. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid deaths. We can't avoid pain and trauma. If we can imagine the worst case scenario for our the things that we fear the most, if we can just let something die within that. So imagine for yourself right now, what do you fear the most? Is it losing a loved one? Is it a disease or a cancer? Is it you dying early? Whatever, whatever. It sounds so traumatic and dramatic, right, to go there, but it's actually really therapeutic to imagine the worst thing happening and letting that fear die. And being okay with whatever happens is supposed to happen. So I've been going through the process of being like, oh, yes, I'm madly in love for the 
for the second time in my life. And there were times that I was so afraid of losing love that I would squeeze it. And it just reminds me of the story of this little boy whose mother gave him this little bitty box with a little caterpillar in it. And every day he went out and talked to the caterpillar and talked to the caterpillar. And finally one day he started seeing that its wings started coming out. He was so excited. He ran inside and he grabs some scissors and he runs out and he starts cutting open the caterpillar to help release it. And what he didn't know is that that killed the butterfly. Mm -hmm. And he was crying and his mother explained, your intention, sweetheart, was good. You tried to really help it. But see, the caterpillar, in order to become the butterfly, it has to go through that in order to have strong wings to fly. And so his intention was pure. But it doesn't always mean that it's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think we try to force things. We try to force our evolution. We try to force to fix other people, to make their journey faster for them and all we need to do is show a loving compassionate provide a loving compassionate place for ourselves to become the caterpillar to to, to turn into the butterfly and then to allow others to as well wow i mean i think that is the perfect way to end this incredibly powerful episode everything that you're doing and the, the person that you're that you're becoming is giving room and space and permission for everyone else, whatever, or anybody else who is feeling some kind of way to, to know that there's hope on the other side. And I'm so grateful for you. I mean, it's an honor to watch you go through the, the chapter you're in now and becoming her and, and everything you've got coming up. And I know that you're writing two new books um, you're going to be in a movie, which is very <laughs> exciting. Um, I know you're still always building your business. You've got this beautiful relationship that you're working through and, and it's just so beautiful to see. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm so grateful that you've been on this podcast, the vulnerability and the realness. And I think sometimes, especially if people know you from our industry, which a lot do, they might look at you and think, wow, I, I mean, I would never have known that this is what was going on. And I think that that is the beauty of, of opening up and being, you know, brave enough and, and courageous enough to share. And I'm so thankful for you. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you came on here and did that with us. And I love you so much. Is mm -hmm. there anything else you want to finish on before we close it? And then we end our mm -hmm. retreat in Arizona. That's been the amazing. most amazing four days. You've been so epic for me always. You guys, I mean, that's, I, I it took me forever to trust women and men um for many reasons which you know we don't won't go into but Vic is so amazing at holding space and with non-judgment and really allowing um her friends to be their purest form which means that sometimes my form doesn't look real pretty and um and I love that I'm able to be able to be whatever 
whatever uh, phase of Christy Christie's at and you hold that space. So I celebrate that and celebrate all of you out there that can actually do that for your friends. That is something that is such a treasure. And I hope and pray that I am that for you and, and everyone else as well. So thank you for that. I will just end with one story for some reason. I think somebody needs to hear this. There was um, two monks that were walking one day, and they reach this, this like, riverbank. And they see this woman with a really long dress standing there. She was really perplexed because she wasn't sure how she was going to be able to get across in her dress. And one of the monks picks up the woman, the woman and throws her on his back and carries her across. Now, some of you may or may not know, but monks aren't allowed, most monks aren't allowed to touch women. It's part of the, their um, spiritual process. And so the two monks were walking along, and one of the monks said, why in the world would you pick that woman up and put her on your back? And the other monk said, are you still carrying her on yours? Wow. So I just ask you all if you're carrying something on your back right now that you're ashamed of, that you feels too heavy for you, if you're carrying other people's stuff, just take it off the back. Take it off your back. Just let it go. Wow. Profound. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you for everything. Guys, this conversation was epic, life-changing. The Becoming Her process for you is just so beautiful and I'm so grateful, like I've said. Guys, I'm going to link everything of Christie's in the show notes. Her book, it's on Amazon, just type her name in, her Instagram, her podcast. I did an episode for her, which is coming out on her podcast as well. Watch this space, support her go buy her books because there's a lot. If you thought you got a lot out of this podcast, her books are in depth. They're raw, they're real, they're vulnerable. They're life-changing as it changed mine eight years ago. So thank you so much for being on. Guys, if you like this episode, please share it. Please tag us on Instagram. Tell us what you got out of it. I hope this gave you permission in some way to become the next version of you, to reinvent yourself in whatever that looks like. And please subscribe, like, and follow the podcast. Leave a review. And Christy, thank you so much for being here. And guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. Love you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. Ciao.